But I do think it's important that the undergraduate has ownership of their project um, so that they can feel really successful in completing it, so that they can really take ownership of that. And I've also seen undergraduates uh, bring new ideas to the group, which I think is, uh, that's always the thing that I find most exciting when an undergraduate takes this project um, and they really dive into it and get to a level where they can come to me and say, hey, I have an idea about how to do this better. Um, And for me, that's one of the most exciting things. That was Karen Dannemiller, assistant professor at The Ohio State University, talking about how she works with undergrads in her research lab to lead to both their research success and her research success. She runs the Indoor Environmental Quality Group at Ohio State, and she actually, in this episode, outlines the practical steps that she takes to both have undergrads apply for a position in her lab that includes a proposal written by the undergrad, onboarding the undergrads into the lab to make sure that they're setting themselves up for success in terms of the experiments they're doing, and in addition, the ongoing management process of those undergrads as they're working in her lab. And she's had a great success with this. She's an assistant professor, but she's already had 14 undergrads work in her lab successfully in the first three years that she's been at this. So I think this episode is going to be really enlightening for early career researchers who want to get undergrads involved in their research right away. So grab your notebooks and your pens and start to get jot some stuff down about how Dr. Dana Miller handles this process, because I think this is a great model for everyone out there that's just starting up a research lab, or if you're already running a research lab and you want to start to get undergrads more involved in that lab, there's some great steps that she talks about in this process. And in addition, she talks about how she's spinning out great undergrads from her lab into grad school. So if you're interested in recruiting grad students that have already had some lab experience, uh, Dr. Dana Miller might be a great person to contact, especially if you're in the air quality area for potential graduate students. Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to remind everybody out there to subscribe to the show because we've got episodes recorded all the way through May. We're excited to share those with you. So if you hit that subscribe button, you won't miss a single episode of all this great stuff that we're bringing to you. Thank you so much for listening to the show and enjoy this one with Dr. Karen Dannemiller. We're welcoming to the show today, Karen Dannemiller who's joining us from The Ohio State University. Welcome, Karen. Thank you for having me. So we, we invited you on the show today. We're, we're actually doing this as part of a collaboration with a, a conference, actually, the AEESP conference. And one of the interesting things about that conference is they want to get an idea of the best practices in the field when it comes to things that aren't necessarily directly related to research, but all the other things that are related to stuff we talk about on the Helium podcast. So one of the cool things about you is that you've had, I think we were talking before the show, you said you had 14 total undergraduates in your group over the last three years, you said? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's incredible. I mean, over the course of three years, like just, and and you, you just started, so it's not as if you were counting a, a, a large group to start with. So you really dove in on the undergrad research from the start. And so I guess the first question our audience might have 
And I think the first question I had is what kind of roadblocks and what kind of problems have you faced um, because you've been employing undergrads to do research in your lab? Sure. So I am really passionate about promoting undergraduate research in general, and I actually really see it as a win-win situation. Uh, so when I start talking to undergraduates about joining my group, I tell them that we're really in this together. So if they're successful, I'm successful, and ideally we can work together to learn some exciting new things. Uh, so one of the things that I do initially with all the undergraduates who join my group is, so first of all, I'll start out by advertising um, around my department that I'm looking for someone. And I generally have a, a project idea in mind um, that I've thought about before and is a nice um, specific undergraduate size project uh, for them to work on. So I'll interview everybody who's interested and uh, select the people that would like to join my group. And after I've decided who can who would like to join, I make sure that they they still want to join after talking to me and we'll go over an actual uh, research expectations document. And I think that this is a really critical step with undergraduates because they they're often not familiar with the research environment and what would be expected of them and what they can expect from me. Um, so by going over this document, we can really make sure that we're both on the same page. Um, and this document is going to include things like expectations about how hard research is, that things don't often work the first time. And in fact, if you're trying something new, it's probably not going to work the first time. You're, you're going to have to try it a couple times and, and work at it to get it to work out. Um, as well as expectations for attitude in terms of working with other people in the lab, asking questions when you're not sure about something, uh, you know, being honest with me if, you know, about things that they're not sure about. Um, and of course, safety. Uh, so we always emphasize safety in there. And then I always make sure that we have similar ideas about time commitment and the length of time that they're willing to work in my lab. So I usually um, ask that people can work at least two semesters. Um, oftentimes it ends up being the spring and the summer at a minimum. Um, and then usually people, um, uh, the students really enjoy that and they'll often continue on beyond that. But that really helps make sure that they have enough time to get set up with their project and then they can can start making contributions uh, to that as well. So my pipeline, usually um, I, in terms of getting some, the pipeline in terms of getting someone set up, um, I'll often also have them write a proposal at the beginning uh, for their project. And it can be a pretty short proposal, but it's also about kind of setting them up at the beginning to be successful, to make sure that we are on the same page. So they'll write the proposal from either maybe a grant proposal I've previously submitted or a paper that they're, you know, they'll look at the paper for some methods and sort of modify it for whatever it is that they're trying to do. Um, but then we can talk about the proposal and make sure we address any, um, any concerns that we might have or if we're on the, the different page about any questions. And that makes sure that at the beginning they really know what they're going to do and that they can also see the broader picture um, and in terms of how their project is actually an important project and is going to contribute uh, to what we know. Those sound like really good methods to kind of rope folks in at a time when they're often not hearing in other places explicit instruction on what research even is. So I love what you're saying about kind of making sure that that is part of their education and was wondering if you could unpack something that I know a lot of us have struggled with, which is 
you know, parsing out tasks in the right size, shape, duration to be, you know, assigned to the right person. So when you say something is an undergraduate sized project, I wonder if you have adapted your mentoring and, and just your, um, approach to project definition and scoping for undergraduates in a way that you could sort of detail here. Yeah, absolutely. So the the undergraduates in my group have really made an important contribution to our group. So they've really added a lot of value. And I think a lot of that is because we've sort of given them these undergraduate size projects. And what I mean by that is a project that is is fairly well-defined um, and ideally is associated with something that maybe another graduate student or an undergraduate that has been in the lab for a while is working on. And oftentimes I'll pair an undergraduate with either a graduate student or another more experienced undergraduate so that they can work together. Um, and they not only have me as a, a resource to come to, but they can also go to someone who is in the lab and that they see around uh, more often on a more regular basis where I'll go down there to work with them occasionally, but they can see someone who's, who's there more often um, and work with them together on this project. And the project, it's, it, it is important that it is somewhat well-defined um, so that they know what these expectations are. And, and it may even become more well-defined as they write that proposal that I was talking about. And I feel like the, the proposals often fall into maybe a, maybe a couple different categories. One um, is it might be kind of a crazy idea um, and something that we're not completely sure is actually going to work, but we, we want to explore this a little bit more um, and see if we can get this to work out. Um, the second option is maybe some preliminary data where we know we're going to submit a proposal and we want to be able to prove that something is true um, and that we can do something in our group. Uh, before we put that proposal in. Um, and the third option is maybe a specific task that needs to be repeated many, many times um, and something that an undergraduate can successfully do in the lab um, and they, they can uh, become basically an expert in doing that task. But I do think it's important that the undergraduate has ownership of their project um, so that they can feel really successful in completing it so that they can really take ownership of that. And I've also seen undergraduates uh, bring new ideas to the group, which I think is, uh, that's always the thing that I find most exciting when an undergraduate takes this project um, and they really dive into it and get to a level where they can come to me and say, hey, I have an idea about how to do this better. Um, and for me, that's one of the most exciting things. I, I think that's a perfect transition because you're, you're already uh, talking about this question, but we wanted to also ask you, what the fruits of this labor are, you know, beside the fact that you're training the next generation of potential graduate students and scientists for, for just, if you were thought about it from a selfish perspective, what are, what are the fruits of the, for, for your lab? Oh, absolutely. I've, I've gained so much from working with the students. Um, first of all, I really enjoy working with them on um, they're, they're really great. Um, but they've definitely made some really substantial contributions to our group. Um, they've contributed a lot of preliminary data to proposals that we've put in that have ultimately been successful. Um, they've contributed to manuscripts that we've published. Um, so I have undergraduates who have been on, um, listed as authors on manuscripts because they've made a substantial contribution to what ultimately became a manuscript. Um, and they do uh, become graduate students. Um, so right now, 
several of my graduate students uh, were originally undergraduates in my group. And I've also had undergraduates um, also become graduate students at other universities, um, as well as go on to successful positions in, in industry and, and other places. Um, so I think I, I gain a lot out of having undergraduates in my group. Yeah, I was going to say, I think maybe you'll get even more popular because people will be calling you up asking for, for recommendations for, for graduate students. They're like, you've already done all the training. They don't, they just get somebody on and they get going right away. So that's, that's awesome. That would be great. Yes. If anybody is, is looking for a really great graduate student, I'd have some uh, recommendations of undergraduates coming out of my group. So that would, that would be great. It's so, it's so important to start that pipeline early. So I have a question on just the logistics of this and wondered if you might do it both ways. I have seen a lot of undergraduates work for credit as an independent study. Um, and I've also seen people write undergraduates into a grant. So from both the student perspective and also making a compelling case to granting agencies, I wonder if you have advice on which way works better or if it's case by case situation. Um, a lot of my undergraduates will actually do a combination of both. So for them, they can use the research credit hours as a technical elective, um, which can go towards their graduation requirements. Um, they can also use these uh, research credit hours to get a research distinction on their um, degree when they ultimately graduate, um, if they get enough of these uh, research credit hours. And um, usually over the summer, I will have them working so that they can get paid, which I think is really important so that they can um, have enough money to support themselves. So usually it's a combination of these things. Um, oftentimes, I think the research credit hours are especially helpful as they're kind of getting up and running as they're coming into the lab and, and getting trained. Um, so usually during that first semester, if they're taking research credit hours, I have a couple uh, initial experiments that I have them do. One is just to get familiar with pipetting. So I have it written out so that they, um, they'll actually do this pipetting experiment where they basically pipette water onto a scale. And it gives them a, a really good idea about how to improve their pipetting skills so that they can improve their accuracy. And it also gives them insight into the precision associated with pipetting, which is something that's really critical to my group that my students do a lot of. And then I'll also have them make a, a, a scientific graph, so a research quality graph based on that data. Um, so I have some information for them and also just get started in, in terms of learning basic skills like keeping a high quality laboratory notebook. So I have some information I, I give them about that. Um, and once they've worked through, through that, I also usually have them uh, do one of the initial experiments that we do is uh, a DNA extraction. And I'll have them do it on a positive control and a negative control. And the key thing in the end is to have the positive control be positive for the presence of DNA and the negative control be negative for DNA. Um, and one of the most challenging things in my group is to prevent ambient contamination. Um, and so oftentimes the negative control is a lot more challenging than the, the positive control to get it right. So I've had students have to repeat that uh, initial task six or more times. Um, but in the end, I'm confident that they, they know how to do the DNA extraction. They can get good results. And by doing these test samples first, you know, we're not putting any valuable samples at, at risk and we can make sure that they, they know what they're doing. So usually I kind of have them, them step up 
in that way uh, to get familiar with with our process. You know, I, that's I think I think it's great. It's like an on, it's an official onboarding process where you where you have these these experiment these sort of dummy experiments that they're running not dummy experiments but like they're they're tester experiments that they have to jump through that hoop and then the next hoop and then they're finally qualified to actually touch the samples that that could affect the results that's that's awesome and so that does obviously take some time right so this whole process that you're describing takes time to to implement so once you get them on board what is the typical time that they're that they're actually working with you once they're you know I guess you can count the onboarding time too, but sure. I think it's um. I think it depends on the student as well as the project, um, and also how much time that they can contribute to it to the sem- uh, during that first semester. So I would say usually they're kind of up and running with their project, either about halfway to two-thirds of the way through the first semester because there's also a lot of online trainings that they have to do and they've you know put a lot of time into writing this proposal. Um, but usually at that point they're they're pretty confident um, in terms of what they know how to do um, and they've they've addressed a lot of the stumbling blocks head on that they would have hit if they had just dove directly into the the project itself. Um, so usually we get them up and running. That's why I say often they'll start in the spring semester. And kind of spend that semester getting up and running um, and start getting prepared uh, for the summer. And then usually they can spend the second half of that spring semester figuring out what they're going to do over the summer, ordering what they need, getting everything set up. And then the ideal situation is they can come in during the summer when they have more hours to spend on the project and really hit the ground running um, and get some data uh, pretty quickly. That sounds like such a good model. And I know this is uh, one of our kind of mini episodes associated with AWSP or Association of Environmental Engineering and Science Professors. Um, for those that aren't environmental engineers like us, but I just had to ask before we wrap, I wanted to know, did you make all of this up because you just saw a need or did you experience any of this? Because either way, this is a powerful answer and example to other folks out there. So I I think it's a combination. I had a really great experience when I was an undergraduate at Brown University with some really excellent mentors. And I I learned a lot uh, working in that research lab. But I know how much it meant to me and and how much I learned and how much it actually drove what I I later chose to do in, in terms of a career. So, and that, and I also saw that a lot of undergraduates were interested in this here. Um, and also from a selfish perspective that they could make really important contributions to my group. So I think that was a lot of the motivation behind it. And I, I really love talking to the undergraduates about what they plan to do after graduation. So I always make sure I, I take the time, you know, if we're meeting um, about the research, maybe at the end of the meeting, every once in a while, ask, hey, what are you thinking about doing after graduation? And um, where would you like to go? And I always like to try to make sure that the project is aligned with their interests and, and what they actually want to do. And I think that helps with their ownership. And And I hope, you know, at least the plan is that that this will help um, help them achieve what they ultimately want to do with their career. I think that's a perfect way to, to end this episode. Thank you, Karen, for joining us today. Really appreciate you taking the time to stop by and talk to us on Helium Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. 
You've been listening to episode 21 of Helium Podcast, where Karen, Dan, and Miller give us some great practical steps to incorporating undergraduates into research laboratories. I loved how she talked about the application process that she set up, the onboarding process that she has, including some of those experiments that she has her undergrads do to try to get up to speed in the lab, and even the fact that she has her undergrads write a proposal before they start research in her lab. There's definitely a reason why there's been 14 undergrads who have passed through her lab in the last three years as she was just getting started as a professor. The show notes for this episode can be found at www.teamhelium.co slash episode 21. There we'll include links to Karen's lab page and also her Twitter feed so you can keep up with all those great undergraduate students that she's putting out into graduate school. As a reminder, if you're listening to this in the spring of 2019, we're running a weekly webinar called How to Become a Tenure-Track Professor Without Feeling Isolated, Stressed, or Overwhelmed. So if you're an early career researcher looking to land a faculty position, we have a weekly webinar for you. You just need to go to www.teamhelium.co slash webinar to sign up to get notified about the next webinar date and time. The music for this episode was provided by Michael Blake, who can be found at mblakemusic.com. As usual, this episode was produced and created by Christine Ogilvie-Hendren and myself, Matt Hotze, and this episode was edited by Zach Hendren. Thanks so much for listening. We love our Helium audience, and we appreciate your support. We're really seeing a lot of responses from the audience about ideas for shows and for people downloading the episodes so thank you please continue to support the show however you can either that that's by subscribing or reviewing the show or just telling someone else about the great stuff you're hearing here on helium podcast thank you very much and have a great day